The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. Welcome to the Crossman Conversation, CEO edition, offering insights, wisdom, and counsel from the most respected CEOs. Here is the host of the Crossman Conversation, CEO edition, John Crossman. Hello, this is John Crossman, and welcome to the Crossman Conversation, the CEO edition. Today's guest is Rick Pullum, who's the president with One Florida Bank. Rick, thanks for being here with us. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Rick, uh, first off, just uh, tell us sort of big picture. How are you feeling about today's real estate market? Well, um, I'll, I'll give it to you from my context as a, uh, a, the leader of a local community bank. Our real estate market here in Central Florida, I feel pretty good about. Um, I think there are some pockets nationally where there are obviously a lot more concerns, particularly in certain asset classes. But here, from what we're seeing, particularly in our own loan portfolio, we've got a decent-sized um, footprint in commercial real estate lending here in the market. We have not seen uh, any significant issues that give me major concerns. Um, I think there are opportunities um, in certain asset classes where there's cash, you know, people who have liquidity in times like these um, where banks are kind of pulling back to a certain extent. Um, have an opportunity to pick up some real value add um, type transactions. Um, but I think overall the local market is strong um, and we've got really good demographics here in Central Florida. So I think that's a lot of what's driving maybe us outperforming other areas. Um, so in general, I would say I feel really good about where we are. Well, I think that's a good point that, you know, when we have to these topics about uh, real estate, and you hear all these terrible things, it really is geographically driven, right? Like, so if you and I were both in downtown Chicago or San Francisco, we were talking about office markets, that'd be one thing. You know, we're talking about real estate in Florida. It's it's not the same everywhere, right? It's a different story. Is that correct? Absolutely. That's definitely my take. You know, from, and, and it's ahead, a, you know, from my standpoint, it's, we've got, we allocate our um, lending buckets, if you will, by asset class, we, we dive a little bit deeper than regulatory requirements. So we have our portfolio broken out into maybe 10 different sectors when it comes to commercial real estate. And in none of them, um, and you know, maybe some of it's how we underwrite or who we're dealing with, but we just, we just have not seen what you read about from the standpoint of you know, trouble with these assets. So I do attribute a lot of that to the geography and where we are. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously there's probably many years of good decision making on your part to get you to that space. You know, I always look at like in our portfolio, or would you have any, uh, you know, level of no pay or slow pay? Is there any kind of, you know, tracking or sort of thing going on with that? And we've not seen any of that. And that's not to say that we don't have one off attendant here, attend their problem, uh, but always trying to stay in front of that and try to stay in, in great communication. And I also think that, you know, one of those interesting things about, COVID is, is that it sort of had a, a lack of new development during that era. And so that's sort of backed up some pinup demand. And so that's what's probably kept in better markets, some things else, at least as well. Um, so do you think that's part yeah, of it too? I would, I would agree with that. And I think um, I would, I would add to that, that I think the population growth and the relocation 
craze to Florida and Central Florida in particular. You know, a lot of us were scratching our heads five years ago saying, how, how much longer can this multifamily um, boom go? Is this a bubble? And I think it's one of the most interesting cases where it was just, it, it never popped. And the, the demographics and the economics are there, I think, with the population growth here to continue to drive that and single-family residential. I think single, the, the demand for single-family is still really high. That's only been slightly um, dampered by you know, the, the interest rate environment and what's happened over the last year with moves on the rate curves. But that seems to be um, potentially waning. Um, you know, I think it's month by month when you look at the, the metrics to figure out what the Fed's going to actually do. But I think the market believes that it's going to come down next year. So I think that's probably going to bust open, you know, even more home buying uh, if that, in fact, happens and mortgage rates gets back down, you know, in the fives or low sixes. You know, it's funny you say that. I, I agree with that. And I, I think what I would add to is that in the multifamily world, you had this, um, you know, interest rates go up and then inflation. And so a lot of their core consumers were got kind of double hit. And then that's moved some equity away from multifamily right now. And, um, I, you know, I, I think it's definitely going to come back, but it is a little bit of weird bubble. I've, I've never had a time when I've heard multifamily developers tell me like, yeah, I'm kind of on hold on deals right now. Right. Um, so it'll yeah, come back, but the, it's weird, I, right? Yeah. And I think the bigger, the larger multifamily projects, I think make sense from a demand standpoint. It's how do they pencil out with debt rates and are the institutions that are large enough to do those types of uh, loans lending. And I think that, I think that is part of the potential issue for the larger projects is that what I kind of I'm gathering on the street is that the, the big banks are not real keen on big construction loans. And if they are, it's, you know, 50%. You can't get the leverage that you could um, before rates moved on, on on all of us. Yeah. Well, you know, again, I always come back to it pays to be conservative, you know, and really follow solid, solid underwriting. You know, before the Great Recession, uh, one of my favorite stories is, is that, remember, my dental hygienist was pitching me on flipping condos. And thinking to myself, oh my gosh, like this is not going to, I mean, that really happened. And then I remember another guy pounded on me to buy a condo in downtown Orlando. And I went to kind of like a open house for whatever. I could not figure out where you were supposed to park. That's a bad sign. And then when I went in, uh, none of these salespeople would talk to me. It was like, you know, they were, they were too busy. And so when that went down, it wasn't shocking, right? Because it just seemed like a lot of bad, you know, fundamentals. Um, but I haven't seen sure. terrible fundamental breaking in the last uh, three years. And so while I do have some concerns in some ways with the economy, different things going on, I, I don't feel like this uh, pinup you know, pressure bust happening. I and I hope I'm right about that because I just haven't seen anything that's been out of control. And I have seen out of control in the past. I remember a retail developer telling me that um, he had a lender call and was giving him 100% financing on land. You know, like, mm -hmm. good night. You know, <laughs> that's... Yeah, that's... like back in 06 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I do think that, and of course, I'm coming from a banker's perspective again, but I do think that bankers and regulators did learn a lesson. And so I think you, you just have not seen...
uh, slack in underwriting in this cycle that led to that. So I think you're right. There may be some of some highly leveraged things that are not on banks' balance sheets, but you know doesn't present the same um, structural risk um, that it would if banks were loaded up with this stuff and undercapitalized, which is not the case. So I agree. I agree. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick break and come right back. I want to ask you a little bit about uh, uh, your advice for leadership for uh, young professionals. So stay right there, Rick, and we'll be right back here at the Crossman Conversation, the CEO edition. This is John Crossman. I work with a lot of vendors in the commercial real estate industry. And I got to tell you, one of my favorite ones ever is my friends over at Construction Unlimited, Florida's premier roofing company. And they bridge the craftsmanship with the pinnacle of innovation. They're just one of the best groups because of the trust, the expertise, the quality, and my favorite part, they're really committed to the community. When you're thinking about roofing construction needs, keep Construction Unlimited at the top of your list. At JLL, we are reshaping the future of real estate for a better world. For over 250 years, our firm has remained committed to offering trusted and innovative solutions in commercial real estate leasing, management, investment strategies, and technology. JLL.com. See a brighter way. Here's a call to those who want to make an impact on their company, their community, or who possess a desire to make the world a better place. Crossman Career Builders provides the tools and resources for you or your company to make a difference on some of the toughest issues that we all face. Crossman Career Builders partners with CEOs, politicians, and pastors seeking to address problems of racism, mental health, addiction, justice, and suicide. CrossmanCB.com. Once again, here's John Crossman. Hey, we are back here. It's John Crossman with Rick Pullman, the president of One Floor Bank. And Rick, you know, you had a successful career in banking and a lot of the young professionals and college students who are real estate majors listen to our show. And, you know, their goal in life is to become a CEO or president or uh, be a founder entrepreneur. What advice do you have for them as far as what are the most important traits that they have, skill sets that they need to acquire to someday be a, be a successful leader in the industry? Well, there are a few, but if I had to start with what I envision as the most important one and what I feel like kind of maybe got me noticed earlier in my career than maybe others and and allowed me to get here. I'm 46, um, and we started the bank five years ago, so I started as president when I was 41, Um, is sense of urgency. I think that you need to show those around you that you have a uh, drive about you and that the tasks that you are taking on, even if they're small at the early stage of your career, you're going to push to do them the best and the fastest. um, And that's going to set you apart. I think that, I think that's a really important one and it's hard to teach it. Um, I think, you know, you have to have a certain natural drive, but if you do have that drive, I think that showing that, is uh, is super important. I think that if you want to um, actually be the leader of an organization at the at the very highest levels, I think the second thing I would say is empathy. I think in order to lead people, you have to be able to put yourself in their shoes and understand what their perspective is and where they're coming from, and lead by example. And uh, and and show that empathy to the team, and that's gonna that's gonna allow people 
to trust you and, and want to follow what you're doing. Obviously, you have to have good ideas and you have to know what you're doing, but I think it's the people side and the, the proving to people who you are and what you're about um, is, is what takes you to the top. The rest of it, the skill set and what you learn in school and what you learn technically on the job is kind of the ante to the game. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's go back real quick on that, that sense of urgency. I love that. You know, um, when I'm working on a deal and you know, it'll be, you know, 45 day due diligence and 30 day close, man, even prior to due diligence starting, I'm all over it. And once the clock is officially ticking, I'm like, do every single thing you can to get everything done and then have extra time. We actually had a deal last year that, um, once we got under diligence, Peter ended, we closed faster. We didn't need the extra time to close. We just ended up closing like three weeks early because uh, we were just ready to. Um, but what's funny is, is that I am surprised, disappointed by the volume of people that do not work with a sense of urgency and don't seem to understand uh, what can happen if you don't, right? Like, yeah. you know, it can be a very painful process. I'd always just assume have extra time, extra space, and not be right up against a... Uh, you know, a deadline. Um, so I think that's a great comment coming from a banker. I really appreciate that. So I think that's a great one. <laughs> yeah, um, well, banking in particular, you, you know, you have to, you have to set yourself apart. There are a lot of banks. So speed to market is one of our biggest tenets in our culture is to, is to get something done when you say you're going to get it done. Yeah. So sorry, yeah. I interrupted you. No, no, no. I listen. I'm glad you said that. I mean, I listen, I did a deal two years ago and we picked a bank, and I told them, like, you know, we had a 30 due diligence, 30 close, and I'll make the timing. It's absolutely yes. And so I went and checked on the bank. I said, how's it going? It's like, oh, good, but, uh, you know, we got to get the appraisal done. And I said, um, all right, well, how long is it going to take? And then the, and the guy goes, oh, it'll be three weeks. That was after the end of due diligence. Like, I'm like, bro. <laughs> when did, it, why didn't you order it already? <laughs> yeah. And so I called the appraiser, and I said, what would you charge me to get it done in a week? And he gave a different number. Yep. I agreed to it. It was done in a week. I'm bidding, but if I had not been pushing that, I don't, I don't, I don't even understand what that banker was thinking, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. And so you got to put things on the counter and circle it in red and like, this is happening, you know? So hundred percent. I just, I love that. Yep. Um, and then, you know, interesting, you say empathy, you know, that's one of those words that I think it's like saying integrity. Um, I think people can say it and define it and spell it, but they doesn't mean they really actually know what it means. And so, you know, when I think about empathy, that you're really feeling what someone else is feeling, you know, so, you know, if somebody says, hey, I had this deal die, and you're like, oh my gosh, like, I have, you know, literally said, but I have been there, I've had a deal die, and I know what you're feeling, and then sitting there with that person in that space, and then also giving them counsel from a perspective of understanding that feeling, uh, that that's really critical. And if you have no sensitivity to, you know, a single mom that's got a leave the office at a certain time to get to pick up their kid from daycare or you don't care and you have no sensitivity to what that means, it's awfully hard for you to rise up. Is that, is that what you were saying? hundred percent. Yes. I think it's, I, you know, we've all been around folks who are quote unquote the boss, you know, and you have to do what they say. But I think the, the really good leaders are the ones who make decisions with how it's going to affect the other people in mind, not just the outcome that you're looking for. Because I, I believe that it's the people that are going to drive your business further. You can be successful to a certain extent, 
um, you know, on your own, but you, you have to have people around you that are going to make it happen. And I think one of the most motivating things is, is understanding that your leader can step into your shoes and, and understand how you feel about whatever decision it may be that's being made at the time. Um, and that you explain your decisions to people. Um, I think that's part of it. I had this boss um, when I was young, and he was a developer guy. And I'll never forget walking to his office and saying, hey, man, um, I got engaged this weekend. And he didn't even look up from his computer. He just said out loud, oh, yeah, well, I just signed a lease that's going to last longer than your marriage. That's what he said. To wow. Me. Yeah. It's funny, though, because of my wife and my, our 20-year anniversary um, his tenant he did that deal was had gone bankrupt and was gone and we were still married. I really wanted to go by the shopping center and take a picture <laughs> of our wedding ring in front of the center and send it to him. But like, to your point, like, you know, if he had just stopped, looked me in the eye, stood up, shook my hand, you know, I was 24 years old at the time. I would have, you know, remember that instead I remembered, you know, what really happened. And, you know, it's that lack of empathy. I used to always think that Sometimes, you know, there are people that if they were Civil War generals, they'd be like, okay, we'll send the troops over there to attack that hill. They're all dead. Okay, we'll send flowers to the family and just have no sense right. of like, well, you know, so, hey, well, let's just close that bank branch. Well, all those people lose their jobs. Like, you know, hang on a second. Like, you know, and if you just don't care. And by the way, I see CEOs that don't care at all. They don't care. Sure. And so, you know, the ones that do, and it doesn't mean they're soft. It doesn't mean they don't do the hard decisions. It just means that they're thoughtful and intentional in what they're doing. And that, and that sounds like that's part of what you're doing and, and what you're advising young professionals to think about. Is that right? Yeah, that's what we try to do here. And I, I just think that it's a better model. The, 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 the thing you have to just be a little bit aware of when you, you know, carry out the leadership role that way is making sure that while you're doing that, people do still understand, like you just said, you're not soft. You are going to make the tough decisions. It's just they're going to be explained, and you actually care about how you're making those decisions because you, you don't want the inmates running the asylum or whatever the <laughs> correct way to say that is these days. Right. No, I'm with you. Rick, well, we're going to need to take a quick break, and then we're going to go to our final segment. Um, but just thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And uh, thank you for your leadership you do in the community, and you're impacting a lot of young professionals, things you do. So thanks for all you're doing to make our community and our industry a better place to be for everybody. Thanks, John. I've enjoyed it. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with our final segment. I'd like to thank Maynard Cooper and Gale PC for being a sponsor of our program. Maynard is a full-service law firm with over 350 attorneys and 14 offices nationally who serve with professional excellence in everything from corporate and business matters to day-to-day -day legal issues. The office in Central Florida focuses its practice in real estate, corporate transactions and organization, banking and finance, along with trust and estates. To learn more, visit MaynardCooper.com. Crossmock Services is a commercial real estate firm offering a wide range of professional services, including advisory, brokerage and leasing, investing, and property management. Our staff comprises the industry's most seasoned professionals who possess the needed knowledge in real estate investments, analysis, and portfolio management to drive growth. See how Crossmark can work for you. That's CrossmarkServices.com. As the largest property tax practice in North America, Ryan's professionals possess the local footprint and knowledge backed by a team with national expertise to help organizations minimize their property tax liabilities and ensure valuations are fair and accurate. 
With the Florida tax appeal deadlines approaching rapidly, local experts at Ryan work proactively with many jurisdictions across Florida well in advance of the August trim notice mailing to ensure our clients receive maximum tax savings. Guys, I use Ryan, and I hope you will too. Once again, here's John Crossman. All right, we're back for the final segment here. Uh, Mike, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing fine, my friend. Uh, so Rick Holm with uh, president of One Florida Bank. You know, this has a nice style to him, very calm. Yeah. You know, like yeah. kind of smooth, calm. It's like when I was just listening to him, like, I, I like a bank guy that seems like he's just like calm. And then, man, when he started talking about leadership and, and says a uh, sense of urgency and empathy, those are two great qualities of leaders, man. And and both of them, maybe if I had to pick two, they're like my bugaboos. I don't think people pay enough attention to it. Maybe those two. You know, I don't quite understand where all the calmness comes from in this right, culture. Right. Uh, you think about society right now, and if all of the businesses across the spectrum, when you, what you would think that a bank would be feeling would be anything but calm and, and optimism, but he had both. Yeah. Well, you know, it's. Um, I think that goes because uh, in our, our market today, a lot of businesses are doing well. You know, I mean, there's there's some that are struggling, but as a general rule, I think a lot are doing well. Yeah. And while the interest rates impact real estate because people stop doing deals or do less deals, it doesn't really impact core business growth. You know, they pivot and they adjust to it. So it makes sense to me at the same time, you know, I think any kind of business leader, you got to be thinking like, hey, does, you know, yeah. so is something going to happen and then and trying to prepare for it. But again, when he was talking about urgency, right, that sense of urgency, and I think a lot of people don't get that. I mean, I think about college students, if a, if a professor says, hey, this paper's due on Wednesday at 4, everyone turns it in at Wednesday at 3.59, right? Um, but, you know, if you start getting in a world of like, hey, maybe it's due on Wednesday at 4, maybe you turn it in at Monday at 1, right? Yeah. Like, and I think if you apply that in the real world, you're getting stuff done early, is a great thing because, by the way, you know, if there's a mistake or something needs to get adjusted, you have time, mm-hmm. right? So I love that he talked about that. And then empathy, you know, again, I, I, I think about empathy sometimes like the word aloha. People say, oh, you need to be empathetic. What does that actually mean? And to me, you know, this is just, I don't know, right? But sympathy is like, hey, I'm hearing that you feel something. Empathy is like, I'm feeling it with you. Yeah. Like I'm having a sense of like what it is you're feeling. And then being present with them. And, and you can still disagree with people. Yeah. Right. You could still have to fire somebody, but you at least can be compassionate about what they're going through. You know, he seemed to be very positive about even the outlook about uh, real estate and loans, maybe in the future, in the near future, maybe right. even coming down a little bit. But, you know, at the same time, there are factors happening. And I just heard yesterday about the fact that uh, Chick-fil-A is is raising uh, prices. And so we know that inflation, the upward trend is not over. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in all the sectors, banking sectors, mortgage institutions, what's going to happen in 24. Yeah. And it's funny about that. uh, Mike is like, again, that's not necessarily bad. Like in one sense, right? Like if you're a business owner and you're, you're raising it and you're, you're still making profits, not bad. And if you're somebody that like works at Chick-fil-A or you, you know, if that's part of your investment, you're going to return and other retailers do it. That's not the worst thing. And the other thing too, remember is like, Mike, you and I both lived in times where interest rates were a lot higher than they are oh, right now. a lot higher. Yeah. And, and inflation yeah. was, was worse. So, you know, to me, it's like a lot of times people talk about being in business. It's like being in a heavyweight bout, you know, going 12 rounds and, you know, you got knocked down one round, you got to get back up and knock yeah. them down and you got to stay steady. That's why why I liked his calmness was that that aspect of him that I like is because 
you know, things get really, really great and you don't want to be overly exuberant, right? Yeah. And if things get really bad, you don't want to get too down. You know, you got to just keep coming back. I mean... For such a young guy, he had it together. No, no, I agree. You know, look, I think in my own world, it's like all I know to do every time is when I reflect on it is just keep slugging away. Just keep coming right back. That's right. And and then, listen, find a guy I can do business with. Mike, as always, thanks for being here, my friend. You got it. Appreciate it. And until next time, this has been the Crossman Conversation, the CEO edition. This has been the Crossman Conversation CEO Edition with your host, John Crossman. Tune in next week for another talk with an experienced CEO that will help bring clarity to your business endeavors. The preceding was a Mark Radio production.